Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Fenway Park in Boston. It's the Cleveland Guardians 7, the Boston Red Sox 6. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And you got yourself a baseball game last night. Yeah, sure, we all love blowing out a team. You know, we would have been very comfortable with like a 7-2 to win over the Red Sox. Sometimes, sometimes you got to go out and win a baseball game. Sometimes it's fun as a fan to see your team struggle a little bit and come back, right? You know, we live for these moments. Tied games going into the ninth inning, comeback wins. Uh, it was good stuff last night in Fenway, and the Guardians came out on top. I'm sure because we're Cleveland fans, we're saying it was a good game last night. I don't know if the Red Sox fans feel exactly the same way after watching the Guardians come back and take that one. Uh, it felt like it was the Guardians get, you know, game early, right? Uh, the win probability line was in our favor for most of that game until Dahlbeck hits his two-run uh, two home run in the sixth inning to take a lead, take a 6-5 lead. Um, obviously, once the Red Sox take the lead, the win probability line goes in their favor. But, uh, yeah, uh, it really felt like the Guardians game most of the night, and it's one of those things where momentum could slip away. Momentum could easily slip away. Dahlbeck gives them the lead, but we're able to get it back. We're able to reclaim this game, make it our own, and there's some key factors to that. Some key factors that one of them is that the Guardians bullpen was just damn better than the Red Sox bullpen. Henches, De Los Santos, and Emmanuel Classe give you three and two-thirds of shutout baseball. Meanwhile, Schreiber and Hauk both give up runs for the Boston Red Sox. So their bullpen goes three innings, gives up two runs. Our bullpen goes three and two-thirds innings and gives up no runs. I mean, there's a key difference right there. Uh, Our bullpen winning on the day. And uh, literally, our bullpen winning on the day. De Los Santos gets the win and Classe gets the save. His 21st save on the season. All right, let's get into the storylines of this game. And then and then we got a special treat. We got an email question in the mailbag. And on top of that, we got a voicemail from our friend uh, Phil in Louisville. So that's right. He brought back the voicemail. I tell you about it at the end of every episode. And uh, Phil finally took me up on it and uh, jumps in the conversation. Someone finally jumps in the conversation about the City Connect uniforms, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the Spiders. He kind of liked that idea about the old franchise, the Spiders, and maybe honoring some of our former franchise names, some of our former former franchise nicknames. So, uh, all right, let's get into this game. Let's get into the storylines of this game. And, I mean, the storylines for this one are kind of by inning, right? The second inning, a huge storyline in this game. The fourth inning... A huge storyline in this game. And then, obviously, the comeback at the end of the game. So what went down in that second inning? Well, it's all about the bottoms of the lineups for both teams. Uh, Fermil, okay, middle of the lineup. Fermil Reyes kicks things off with a double. A nice piece of batting. One hops the very short wall in right field corner for a leadoff double, ground rule double. Owen Miller would single, move him over to third. And then Nolan Jones would chop one to first base. 
and just bad defense by the Red Sox. It feels like the Red Sox have been playing bad defense all series. Frankly, both teams uh, have struggled. The Guardians have really struggled with the dimensions of Fenway, right? With the weird things, the weird dimensions in Fenway. We've got left fielders and shortstops almost running into each other. We we got all sorts of things going on, but they've struggled too. And uh, this chopper to first base, they've got uh, Frenchie Cordero over there at first base. Nolan Jones chops one at him, uh, and he uh, he can't field it cleanly. It takes a big hop, you know, kind of towards his head, and he can't field it cleanly, but he compounds the mistake by trying to make a spin throw back to first base and uh, throws it wide and throws it in the dugout. So uh, Fermil Reyes is able to come in and score. Uh, Owen Miller's able to get to third. Nolan Jones to second. And then uh, Austin Hedges, that sets him up to have a nice uh, ground out RBI with that runner on third base. Talk about it all the time on the show. There's a lot of ways for that runner to come in and score, and some of them is just a ground out. I mean, there's no outs in the inning. So Hedges hits a nice, easy ground out to the left side, and uh, Owen Miller's able to come in and score. And then Miles Straw delivers the first of two doubles on the day. He smokes one, 99.6 miles per hour. Uh, back up, I believe this was the one into left center field off the monster. Um, and it brings in Nolan Jones to score. So three guys get on to start the inning, and three guys come around to score. And it's the bottom of the lineup delivering Jones, Hedges, and Straw delivering. RBIs. Does Jones does Jones get an RBI in that fielder's choice? Uh, let's see here. Uh, he's got no R one RBI on the day. I don't know if it was this one or later in the game. Um, I don't know officially how the box score would score that one. But they drive in runs. The last three hitters in the lineup all drive in runs. That's a huge inning. And we'll see something a little bit later of the illustrator, the location of where they're pitching Nolan Jones, where they're pitching Miles Straw. Uh, I think it contributed to this, uh, to them getting some big hits on the day. But unfortunately, unfortunately, Quantrill cannot hold it. He does the thing we want to avoid, which is every time we score, he would turn around in the bottom of the inning and give up runs right back to the Boston Red Sox. Really a momentum killer right there. This is with two outs, so we do all our work uh, with nobody out, right? We get three guys on with nobody out. They, after getting two guys out, the bottom of their lineup as well. I mean, Cordero and Dahlbeck are their seven and eight hitters. Um, I take that back. They're six and seven hitters. So uh, still towards the bottom of the lineup. Frenchie Cordero with a walk, a two-out walk. Oh, man, a two-out walk. Sometimes you can get out of it. Oh, but when they come back, they hurt you. Bobby Dahlbeck delivers first pitch swinging 110.2 mile per hour, 37-degree launch angle, 417 over the green monster, a mammoth home run from Bobby Dahlbeck here. And uh, he would do this twice on the night. So Dahlbeck having himself a great game. Once again, the location for Dahlbeck. We're going to talk about that when we get to a second home run. So that's what goes down in the second inning. Quantrill can't hold the lead. In the fourth inning, we come striking back. Again, it's the bottom of the lineup. This time, it's not the bottom of the lineup delivering the RBIs. It's turning the lineup over that gets us the runs. Man, these are two huge, huge 
things for the Guardians offense. And we talk about it all the time. Being able to turn the lineup over and keep rallies going is such a huge thing here. So Jones with a double. Jones really smashes this double, 106.9 miles per hour off the bat. Uh, so it's a nice way. I believe this one also kicks off the monster, and he's got to hustle into second. Uh, they talked about it on the broadcast. If you hit one off the monster, you better be running out of the box, or you're going to get gunned out at second. Austin Hedges tries to lay down a bunt, a sack bunt, move him over to third. Okay, uh, it ends up working out. He ends up safe. They can't handle it. Uh, so bad defense once again. Miles Straw would strike out in this situation, but it bring up Stephen Kwan, and he would deliver a double down the right field line, pulls it uh, across the bag there at first base. Uh, Nolan Jones would come in to score. Austin Hedges into third. And then Ahmed Rosario would deliver a single. Uh, he would put one into left field, and it would bring in Austin Hedges to score. So the bottom of uh, the bottom of the lineup gets on. The top of the lineup drives them in this time. So two more runs come across the score in that fourth inning. However, ah, they can't hold the lead, and this one is not all uh, Quantrill's fault this time. Uh, he does give out a one-out single to Christian Vasquez, and then Frenchie Cordero basically pokes one into the left field corner, and this is where, uh, you know, maybe in a deeper ballpark, Quan can get behind this ball, but in the shallow outfield, the shallow left field of Fenway, he's got to figure out a way to knock this ball down off the bat of Frenchie Cordero. He's got to slide into it, use his body, be a hockey goalie out there, do whatever it takes. He tries to square up this ball like you would square up a grounder, and it ends up hopping past him. He just can't get his hips around, can't get himself square to the ball, and it ends up hopping past him. And Christian Vasquez is able to come all the way around from first to score. It's a bad throw, too. It's a it's a one-hop. It's not a bad throw. It's a one-hop to Austin Hedges that he... He tries to catch on the side so he can play the tag down. And it's just, I, again, once again, Austin Hedges probably has to get his body in front of this ball. Uh, I know you're not really allowed to block the plate like you used to, but still trying to catch this one hopper off to the side. It hops right past him, and uh, Vasquez comes in to score. Uh, you know, we weren't huge fans on this show of Oscar uh but I'm going to get all my Oscars confused here. Um, Oscar Mercado. We weren't huge fans of Oscar Mercado. I was kind of fine with him being DFA'd uh, multiple times on the season. But the one thing Mercado did was he could slide down the line and knock these balls down. He had a very good approach to cutting these things off. He'd go down into a baseball slide and knock these things down. And it's a move that Quan's got to learn. I hope... I hope that the outfield coordinator, the outfield coaching staff is working with Quan today, giving him a little bit of instruction there of how to sell out and just knock it down, right? It doesn't even matter that you field it cleanly, but you knocking that ball down is the difference between that run coming into score and that run stopping at third. So yeah, uh, that's something that he's definitely got to work on. It's uh, yeah, it's just technique. It's just fundamentals out there in the outfield. So they answer right back, and then Dahlbach gets another RBI. He gets a sack fly into right field. Jones makes a really nice running catch, but no chance to get uh, Frenchie Cordero coming home from third. And so they answer right back with two runs of their own. 
Then in the sixth inning, they don't answer back. They take the lead. Uh, Christian Vasquez with single, and then Dahlbach gets another pitch up and in. And this time, I thought the expected batting average would be lower because it looked like Straw really thought he had a play on this one, and it just carried to dead center field. 107.1 miles per hour off the bat, though. 36-degree launch angle, so another big fly. 397, had a 660 expected batting average, and it goes out for a two-run home run. Now, the location on this one, we're going to talk about the, the Red Sox location. Both home runs from Dahlbeck are pitches that are up and in. Now, in the second inning, it was a first pitch, two-seam sinker, up and in that he unloads on. This one, it's a 2-1 count, but he still comes up and in with it, and it's a cutter in the strike zone that he turns on. Both pitches are basically in the same location, that up and in quadrant. And looking at the zones for Dahlbeck, especially against right-handed pitching, you got to pitch this guy down and away. His whiff rate down and away is insanity. He's at a 59% whiff rate when you can get him to expand outside the zone down and away. Even on the outside edge in the bottom of the zone, it's a 30%, over 30% whiff rate in some of these zones down and away. Uh, what you don't want to do, what you don't want to do is pitch him up and in. And it's weird because his actual numbers are way better than his expected numbers. His batting average from that up and in quadrant is still in the strike zone, but that up and in quadrant on the tic-tac-toe board here uh, of the strike zone is 429 off of right-handed pitching. The expected is only 214. His, uh, his slugging percentage from that up and in is 714. The expected slugging is only 286. I don't know what is going on between the actual slugging and the expected slugging, but I'm still not pitching him up and in like that. And uh, yeah, uh, he pays for it on the day. So I don't know if Quantrill was just missing location, if those were pitches that were supposed to be down and they ended up you know, sailing up on him a little bit. But he goes into a zone where Dahlbach has been delivering on the season and he pays for it with two home runs given up to Dahlbeck, and he was really pissed off about that second one. Well, it does set the Guardians up for some heroics. It do, you know, it knocks Quantrill out of the decision. It almost sets him up for the loss, but it does set up the Guardians for some heroics, and they come up with it off of that Red Sox bullpen. Maybe they pushed, uh, maybe they pushed Schreiber a little too far, throwing him out there for that second inning because he does handle... The seventh inning, Cleveland's seventh inning is pretty quiet. There's a Fermil Reyes two-out walk in there, but he goes uh, gets Owen Miller to strike out to end that inning. So maybe they should have gone to somebody else in the eighth because Nolan Jones would lead off with a single after Andres Jimenez would pinch hit and fly out. Miles Straw would deliver another double, this time into the right center field gap. Uh, it would bring Nolan Jones into score. And it's more heroics from Miles Straw, who has been better of late. I mean, we got to be honest. Francona said when he's getting on, it gives this lineup a whole different look and feel. They like what he's doing in the nine hole. Uh, they really do. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, Jones's single was another ground ball to Frenchie Cordero. Uh, another throwing error by Frenchy Cordero allows him to move up to second base. I thought there was a reason he was standing on second base. So another error. They give him a hit and then advance on the error. 
uh, for Nolan Jones. But again, he's standing on second base when Straw delivers that double, and he comes in to score. So we tie the game up in that eighth inning. We're going to get to how good Straw has been recently, and that brings up Josh Naylor. And they were pitching Naylor in the ninth inning. That brings up Naylor in the ninth inning. And they were pitching him down in a way all freaking day. And with one out, after a Jose Ramirez ground out, Naylor comes up, and uh, let's go to this at-bat. Let's go to the actual at-bat here uh, against Tanner Houck. And it's three pitches, and they're all kind of down and away. It's a sinker that he misses with down. It's another sinker that he misses with down and away. And then finally tries to come with a backdoor slider and spins it right into the barrel of Naylor's bat. And he doesn't go opposite field very often. But he goes 104.6 miles per hour, 27-degree launch angle, 380 over the green monster for his 14th home run on the season and to give the Guardians the lead in the top of the ninth inning. We've talked about this before because he got one more this season that was down the left field line. Everything else is to right center field or right field. He hasn't gone opposite field for a home run. Since his rookie year of 2019, he had one. Every other home run, he pulls or goes to right center field. This one, he gets one. He stays back on it. It's a slider down and away, and he's able to drive it over the monster. Uh, Francona talked in the postgame about how he's quieted down the lower half of his body. That's one way you can go to the opposite field, right? You got to keep your hips locked. You got to keep your hips closed. You got to calm down the lower half. You kind of have to muscle it out there to the opposite field, and that's what Naylor does. And I'm telling you, they were pitching him like that all day. Change-ups, sliders, curveballs, all down and away. He's got a couple of fastballs that came up and in, a few fastballs that came up and in. Everything else is down and away the entire day. So, yeah, you got the guy looking down there. You got the guy ready for something down there. Uh, You know, it's something we see a lot. Same thing with Nolan Jones. They were pitching him down and away the entire day. Uh, Change-ups, curveballs, slider down and away. Everything was in the same two quadrants, down and away and down the middle. Uh, And, uh, yeah, you wonder why these guys are able to come up with big hits. Uh, It's because they're seeing the ball. They're seeing the ball in the quadrant. Jones had three hits on the day. Two doubles and a, and a single, all from stuff down and away. Uh, so I don't know why they keep going to those locations. Both of Straw's doubles. I said we would talk about this, the locations for Straw. Where were they pitching him overall in the day? Let's take a look at that for Straw. Uh, Straw, there was kind of two locations. There was middle in for Straw, and then there was down and away for Straw. Well, everything that he hits on the day, his two doubles, both come from pitches Middle in, trying to pound the the, uh, right-handed hitter on the inside part of the plate. One is a curveball on a 2-2 count. Uh, That's the one in the second inning that he pulls, uh, kind of a hanging curveball that he pulls off the monster. And then uh, on a 1-0 count, it's actually a two-seam sinker from Schreiber that's on the inside edge of the plate that he inside-out swings and drives it into right center field. But it's a location that they were pitching him there all day, he kind of knew what he was getting. Um, and then, obviously, the big home runs from uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. Everything for Dahlbeck was up and in. Up or up and in. So, Dahlbeck, again, kind of locking into a zone uh, 
in this game and delivering some big hits for the Red Sox. So location matters, and these hitters are smart enough to see what you're doing to attack them. And clearly, Naylor knew what was happening. Uh, Nolan Jones knew what was happening to him on the day. Miles Strawn knew what was happening to him on the day. And they were able to deliver hits. Uh, They were able to lock into those locations and deliver hits. So uh, obviously, when you can mix things up a little bit more, uh, you're going to have a little bit better success against these major league hitters. So I thought that was very interesting on the day. So yeah, the Guardians are able to come out, right? They play a little better defense. Their bullpen pitches a little bit better, and they're able to come up with some real heroics late in the game. Uh, and the turning the lineup over, the bottom of the lineup, setting things up for the top of the lineup. I mean, three hits for Nolan Jones. Austin Hedges uh, gets it done in his own Austin hedges way, but he, he contributes with an RBI, a run scored. Miles Straw, two hits on the day, uh, driving in two runs. Uh, and then turning it over for the top of the lineup for Quan and Rosario to keep rallies going. So it's big stuff from the offense on the day. MVP on the day has to go to Josh Naylor. I'm sorry, you hit a go-ahead home run in the top of the ninth inning. It was his only hit on the day, but, I mean, what a moment. Naylor had been hitting the ball hard all day. He had four hard-hit balls on the day. Uh, But this one, finally, in the ninth inning... I know Straw had a fantastic game. I mean, there were a couple guys. Nolan Jones had an incredible day. Uh, Two doubles, three runs scored. Uh, But you got to give Naylor credit, man. He knows how to come up in the big moment and have a big home run. So for the go-ahead home run in the ninth inning, I'm giving Naylor MVP on the day. Uh, The one thing we didn't talk about really is the starters. Quantrill and Dahlbeck, or Evaldi, sorry. Quantrill and Evaldi have similar outings. Uh, Avaldi makes it all the way through the sixth inning, but he gives up nine hits, five runs, only three earned, no walks, and only one strikeout. On 95 pitches, he's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. Quantrill on the other side, not a great start. He only lasts five and a third. He can't get through the sixth inning. He gives up eight hits, uh, only uh, six hard hit balls, though. He gives up six runs, five earned, two walks for him, and four strikeouts. The two home runs being allowed is the big difference for Quantrill. Avaldi didn't give up any home runs on the day. Uh, So, yeah, so a little bit of a similar game here. They both get hit around a little bit. And uh, both, uh, you know, not delivering quality starts on the day. Uh, So, yeah, not much of a storyline there. Both guys have a pretty rough start. Quantrill has had a rough month of July. It's been his worst month of the season. It's the highest ERA of any month. At four seven eight, the weird thing is he's three and one, right? He's pitched the worst this month in five starts, but he's three and one. So that's why you don't put too much emphasis on wins and losses. Sometimes his highest ERA, it's his highest WHIP of the sea of season of any month at one fifty nine. Uh, his walks to strikeouts are pretty in line with what he's been doing all season. Uh, just getting hit around a little bit more, I guess, in this month. He's given up. Uh, they gave up more hits last month, uh, so that's interesting, but more walks this month. Uh, so yeah, uh, June and July have kind of been a little bit of a struggle for him, uh, Quantrill. Instead of getting better on the season, he is uh, his numbers are taking a little bit of hit as the months go on. So 
We'll see what he can do in the month of August if he can turn this thing around for the last two months. It's still not, I mean, in 19 starts, he's 7-5 and five with a 3.97 ERA with a 132 whip total on the season. So overall, it's been all right for Quantrill. It's been solid for Quantrill, but it has been, it has slipped a little bit in the month of July. He is giving up a few more runs, getting hit a little bit harder in the month of July. All right. A few more things we got to talk about here on this day. I just wanted to take a look at who is hot lately. Because I was wondering, is Straw up there? Uh, is Straw, is Fermil Reyes doing any better since the All-Star break? Well, on MLB.com, I can look at the last 15 games. And when it comes to OPS, Andres Jimenez is crushing it. He's got over 1,000 OPS uh, the last few games. Now, he does sit... Yesterday, Francona has been, even though we're just out of the All-Star break, we don't have an off day until deep into August. So he has been resting, guys. We saw Ramirez got a day off. Jimenez gets the day off uh, last night. But he has been the hottest hitter on the team with an over 1,000 OPS, a 1.083 OPS. Doing it with extra base hits, three doubles, two home runs. Uh, Good stuff from Andres Jimenez. Ahmed Rosario is next on OPS with a 922 OPS. Uh, Again, uh, been getting on base, been delivering some slugging, actually. Been delivering some doubles and a triple in there. Uh, Got the slugging numbers up to 510 over the last 15 days. Uh, Luke Mabley, surprisingly, his on-base percentage, he's been drawing some walks. He only has eight at-bats. So... It's not a huge sample size, but mainly at least has been uh, got two walks to go with three hits uh, in eight at-bats. So it gives him a really high on-base percentage, a 920 OPS. Steven Kwan has been delivering. He's just continued to deliver, continued to hit. Even he's got a home run in there to keep that slugging percentage up. But he's hitting 340 so far uh, in the second half with an 845 OPS in the last 15 days. So this is kind of post-All-Star break here. Naylor has been slugging as well, a 535 slugging percentage, an 839 OPS. And then Nolan Jones has been delivering the slugging as well, a 438 slugging. The batting average hasn't been as high for Nolan Jones. That has cooled off a little bit. He does have nine strikeouts, uh, is second in the last 15 days behind Fermil Reyes when it comes to strikeouts. But he does have five walks to go with that. So it keeps the on-base percentage looking good. He's got three doubles and a home run. So he's got the slugging percentage up at 438. It's a 789 OPS total for Jones, uh, but it balances out a 250 batting average over the last 15 games. And then uh, Miles Straw, his batting average has actually been respectable. Uh, 289 batting average for Straw. He's delivering some doubles and some triples, four doubles and one triple, and he's cutting down on strikeouts. Uh, he, did, he never strikes out a ton anyways, uh, he's got three walks, so uh, his on-base is looking pretty good at 341. His slugging is decent at 447. It's a 788 OPS. I will take that from Miles Straw. In the nine hole in the lineup, a 289 batting average and a 788 OPS. I will take that from our speedy nine hitter. Uh, so, yeah, so those are the guys that are doing pretty decent over the last 15 days. Um You know, Jose Ramirez has cooled off a little bit post-All-Star break. He's still slugging okay, still has two doubles and two home runs, but only a .256 batting average. Owen Miller has also cooled off. Uh, uh, He's been cool for a while. Uh, He's got a .670 OPS. 
Reyes is still striking out way too much. He's got 10 strikeouts. He's only hitting 219 in the last 15 days uh, with a 586 OPS. And that's going to lead into some of our email questions. Uh, so of the regulars, he is doing the worst of all the regulars. And it goes to Chris uh, Chris from, I think you're from New Jersey, right, Chris? Um, he asks about that. He asks about Fermil Reyes. Uh, he says, first off, Chris says, thanks again for always taking the time to answer the mailbag questions. We really appreciate it and the detail that you dive into. A couple more for you if you're able to cover them. What are your thoughts on Francona's decreased utilization of Fermil Reyes of late? He started just three of the six games after the All-Star break, and it seems that they're really aiming to get Owen Miller more consistent at-bats instead. I sort of wonder if the front office has some trade scenarios in place that they're working through. Well, I just, again, I don't know what you're trading for Mio Reyes for. I, just, I don't know who is who is going after him and what they're giving back to Cleveland. Uh, is it a team like a Miami or a Baltimore that can take a risk on a guy bouncing back next year? That's the only guy, team I see coming for Fermil Reyes. I don't see the Yankees or the Dodgers or the you know coming for a Fermil Reyes to help their lineup right now because he's not helping right now. Uh, the reason, there's two things. Yeah, he is struggling. Like we said, since the last 15 games, he's the worst of the regulars. So yeah, that could be a reason why Fermil Reyes isn't playing as much. But Francona also said there is a log jam at right field, first base, DH, with Nolan Jones, uh, with Fermil Reyes, with Josh Naylor, with Owen Miller. And he told these guys, you're going to just have off days. You're just going to have to. You're going to have to have you know scheduled off days because i got to get people in the lineup. And the, there's just not enough positions for all of you. So Francona did say that you know a few weeks ago. Uh, that he's gonna, you're gonna see guys sit a little more, and he's just like a little league coach is trying to work everybody into the lineup. Uh, so I don't know if it's necessarily to showcase him for a trade. I think he's just trying to get everybody at bats so that Chernoff and Antonetti have data on these guys, right? Have a decent amount of data, have a decent amount of at bats to base their decisions off of, right? They don't want to, they don't want to base their decision on Owen Miller. Off of a few at bats every you know every Sunday or something like that or on getaway days, uh, so that's kind of what's going on there. Uh, and then it, this is going to play into your next question: What do you think happens once Oscar Gonzalez comes back from the IL? Uh, he did start his rehab rehab start uh, with Double A Akron. Uh, will he platoon him with Nolan Jones in right field? Uh, who do you think gets set down at Triple A Columbus? Yeah, that's a big decision. I do think he will platoon a little bit with Nolan Jones. I mean, Francona has shown that he really loves matching up lefty-righty. So I do think he will platoon a little bit with Nolan Jones. Who gets sent down is the big question. I think it's more a question of who gets traded. I don't think you're going to see Oscar Gonzalez back till after the trade deadline. So I think who gets traded might answer the question of how Oscar Gonzalez fits himself back onto the 26-man roster. I just don't see, they're not going to send Nolan Jones back down. You know, sometimes it's the last in is the first out. Um, I don't see that happening here with Nolan Jones. Frankly, he's been too good. Like we said, he's been one of his, the best hitters on this team. Over the last 15, over the last 30 games, he really has been one of the best on the team. So I don't see that happening. I Do you send Fermil Reyes back down to AAA? I, I actually think there might be an option still. 
on Fermil Reyes? Could he sent, be sent back down to AAA at this point to be like, dude, you got to stop striking out? I really don't see. I mean, Ernie Clement, Alex Call, actually, actually that's it, Alex Call. Uh, Alex Call probably gets sent back down. He has not played much since coming up here. That would be the obvious one to be sent back down because Quan can still back up straw in center field, right? Call is kind of the backup utility outfielder right now. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez, I know they've been he's been a defensive replacement in right field for Nolan Jones late in the game. I don't think you necessarily need that. I think Nolan Jones and Oscar Gonzalez can hold their home, hold their own in right field, and I'd like to see him out there to finish games. So I think Call might be the guy who would get sent back down. All right, now we've got our first voicemail in a long time. Let's head to the phones and let's see what Phil in Louisville has for us about the City Connect uniforms and about the Spiders franchise history. Hey, Davey, this is Phil from Louisville giving you a little feedback. You wanted to know about the City uniforms and you were thinking about the Spiders. So I did a little research. It was a little bit of a deep dive here. But first of all, I wanted to figure out were the Spiders worthy of this? And I did a little research, and, uh, you know, the Spiders were around in Cleveland from 1887 to 1898, first two years in the American Association, and then from 1889 to 1899 in the National League. Uh, I think people forget when they talk about Cleveland baseball that Cy Young pitched for the Spiders from 1890 to 1898. He was 240 and 135, a 640 winning percentage with a 3.10 Earn run average, which is an ERA plus of 138. He had 36 wins in 1892 and 35 wins in 1895. So I like what Phil did there. Uh, yeah, are they worthy? Are the Spiders worthy of that name? Uh, or of being honored with like a City Connect, a special throwback uniform? Uh and yeah, Cy Young, I mean, there was a huge part of that team. There were a few baseball Hall of Famers. Uh, included on that team. Uh, they uh, Just to give you a little bit more history, they got the Spiders name because uh, when they switched from the uh, American Association, the AA League, to the inaugural NL uh, season, National League, uh, they had black and gray uniforms. So they switched their uniforms to black and gray, and that's where the Spiders name came from. They were a bunch of skinny guys in black and gray uniforms, so they thought they looked like spiders out there, and that's where the nickname came from. Uh, they also won the championship, the Temple Cup, in 1895. Uh, they beat the National League pennant winners, the Baltimore Orioles, in what would precede the World Series, the Temple Cup. So they were champions in 1895. They do have a little bit of a stain on baseball history. They are known for having one of the worst records in baseball history at 20 and 134 in the 1899 season, their final season, but that's because the owners of the team also owned the franchise in St. Louis, the St. Louis Browns, and they took all the best players from both teams and moved them to St. Louis. So they stripped this Cleveland team of all their best players, and of course they go on to have a season of 20 wins and 134 losses. So there is that kind of stain on the franchise, so are they worthy of a you know a callback like that, being honored like that? Apparently, they were also early known as the Forest Cities and the Blues. I think the Forest Cities also might have been a different franchise. Um, 
in Cleveland back even earlier in like the, you know, a way early in the mid 1800s. Um, so yeah, so it's just a question of, can you incorporate some of these things from their former nicknames into a city connect uniform? I mean, their first, the first name of this franchise, as we know it today, the 1901 American league franchise was the blues was the Cleveland blues. So maybe do they come out with the blue uniforms with, you know, a spider on it or something like that? You know, can they give nods? to the nicknames of old, the Naps, the the nickname for a long time in the 19-teens. Um, you know, the Spiders are the team that opened League Park. They played originally in National League Park, which was a different stadium. And then League Park, which is now like a baseball museum, which has been rebuilt for kids uh, in the east side of Cleveland, uh, they were the opening team of League Park, which has a lot of history uh, in Major League Baseball, right? It's seen some big uh, Hall of Fame players come through League Park. Uh, so, yeah, so I do think there's enough history with this franchise that you could dive back into the history of baseball in Cleveland because it does have a long tradition. And I think you can come up with some kind of City Connect uniform that honors that legacy, that honors the legacy of Cy Young, like he was talking about. And, um, you know, uh, the... First Native American baseball player, uh, Louis Sokolowski, Sokolowski, I'm never going to say it right, Sokolexis, uh, did play for that Spiders franchise. He is not the reason the Cleveland Indians were called the Cleveland Indians. He is not. But can you, know, can you honor some of this history uh, in Cleveland by pulling out some kind of City Connect uniform that honors some of these former franchise nicknames. I think Phil, I think we didn't get to, you got cut off after a minute, Phil, but I think Phil was on the way to saying that, yeah, the Spiders do have a pretty great history in this city. And I think enough fans were behind the nickname, possibly being the new nickname for the team, that I think you could have some fun with it. And that's the point of the City Connect uniforms is to have some fun with it. Boston was wearing their marathon jerseys again last night. So let's have some fun with it. I would love to see some black and gray Spiders uniforms to honor the former franchises. Maybe throw a slash of blue in there for the blues. I don't know what you got going on, Nike, but come up with something that honors the former franchises would be a lot of fun. So thank you, Phil, for using the old voicemail feature for calling in. I appreciate the call. It's a long episode, but that's all I got on this one. It was a great baseball game, and great baseball games are going to give us a lot to talk about. Uh, So that's all my thoughts on this one. A fun game, and the Guardians come out on top. They make a little progress in the American League Central. They take it in the final of this one, the Guardians 7, the Red Sox 6. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>